Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. I am your host, Laura Reeves. Here at the Good Dog Pod, we are all about supporting dog breeders and responsible dog ownership. We provide dog lovers with the latest updates in canine health and veterinary care, animal legislation and legal advocacy, canine training and behavior science, and dog breeding practices. Subscribe and join our mission today to help give our dogs the world they deserve. Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and I'm pretty excited. We've got a very interesting conversation today. Dr. Trisha Reddick is a researcher on immune response for NASA, you guys, and Dr. Judy Stella, who's the head of research and standards here at Good Dog. And we're going to talk about vaccines and vaccine response and titers and all the kind of stuff that we can do to get the best health for our dogs long-term. So welcome, Trisha. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. So why don't you give us a little bit of background, this NASA thing. That was exciting to hear about. (laughs) Right? Who doesn't want to hear more about space mice? Yeah. I know. They're absolutely amazing. So my PhD and then my postdoc research, that's what you do after you graduate, has focused on the immune response to vaccination in space. So we actually had mice that lived up on the International Space Station and were the first animals to be vaccinated in space. We have vaccinated humans in space, but these were animals. And my research studied how we built an antibody response, and an antibody is part of the immune system. So how we built that antibody response to vaccinations. And people want to know why, because space affects, you know, 300 people, not the rest (laughs) of us. But the idea is that it's a very stressful environment. So by doing this research in a very stressful environment, not only will it protect our astronauts, which is really important, especially as we move towards going to Mars and these really long-term missions, but it's also a model of stress for us down here on the ground. So when we're stressed out, how does that affect our immune system? So it's been the coolest thing to see your rocket with your own, you know, experiment (laughs) going up into space is the coolest thing. It's absolutely amazing. So I could talk forever about space mice. They are amazing. Okay. Well, space mice seems like a whole nother podcast all by itself. (laughs) So for today, let's talk a little bit about the concept. I mean, immunology, this is suddenly in everybody's purview. Yeah. And so we're going to talk about it in relation to our dogs. And what do we mean when we talk about immune response? You get a vaccine, you get an immune response. And can you talk about innate versus acquired immunity and some of those sorts of concepts? Sure. So real quick overview, your innate immune response is the first line of defense whenever you come in contact with a pathogen. So whether that's you get a cut, you inhale a virus, you eat a bacteria, whatever it is, your first response is your innate immune response. So this is a nonspecific response. It works the same whether you're fighting a cold virus or you're fighting the flu virus. The basic response is the same. And this first line of defense basically tries to put the cap on the infection as fast as it can, but it also then it recruits in what's called your adaptive immune response. 
And this is where the antibodies that I talked about earlier come from. And your adaptive immune response has your B cells, which produce the antibodies, and your T cells. And these are what specifically focuses on whatever infection you've had. So if we're talking about vaccines and we're vaccinating against parvovirus, your adaptive immune response builds that specific immunity against parvo. So that's why we do vaccines. And that's why we're built on this idea of doing vaccines and creating this highly specific response. Once your adaptive immune system has kicked in, you're basically protected, not necessarily for life, but for a long time. This is why we don't get the same infections twice. That's a result of your adaptive immune response. So by doing vaccines, we're trying to build that adaptive immune response without having to get sick, which in this case can be lethal for a lot of these infections we're trying to fight. That's a great overview. Can you just talk a little bit about how vaccines do stimulate the immune response and even a little bit about safety around those? Sure. So vaccines stimulate the immune response by while we inject an antigen. So an antigen is either part of the whatever it is we're trying to fight, we'll stick with viruses. So it's either part of virus or the whole virus. And we inject that. And by itself, it is safe. So by injecting just a little and there's a bunch of different types of vaccines, that would be its whole own discussion. But by injecting just a little piece of it, we can make sure that you can mount a safe immune response to it and not have an entire infection. And by doing that, we can build up that adaptive immune response and make sure that it's safe. So by doing just a little tiny part of it, or a virus that's been killed, so we know that it's not able to replicate in you. That way we can mimic the effects of getting an infection without actually having to get the whole infection. So we hear a lot about titers, and I think there's some confusion about when you would do a vaccine versus when you would do a titer. So can you talk a little bit about what a titer is, what exactly we're looking at and measuring, and when we would incorporate that into a wellness plan? Sure. So what a titer is looking at is actually measuring those little antibodies. So antibodies are produced by B cells, and these antibodies circulate throughout your bloodstream and they circulate throughout your body, and they're always looking for things to bind to. So that specific response, those antibodies only bind to, for example, again, the parvovirus. And by binding, they're able to recruit the immune system really quickly. They're able to clear that infection before it ever becomes a problem. So what titers are measuring is the level of that antibody in the blood. So what that tells us is how much of it is circulating. We use it as a measure of memory. It is not the exact same as immunological memory. So when you mount this adaptive immune response, your body produces these memory cells that go to live long term, usually in your bone marrow. And for our dogs, a lot of times they live their whole lives. For humans, it's a little different because we live to be older. But that memory is then what protects you. So by measuring the antibodies in the system, we're able to tell whether or not you're protected from a specific pathogen. And we use that as a measure of memory, but it's not an exact measure of memory. But we want to use those titers to see, for example, if our dogs ever responded to a vaccine. So I do titers right away after I get my puppies. So we have our puppy plan of when we're doing our vaccines. As part of that, I have titers planned out. Did my dog actually respond to the vaccine? Because we have dogs that are called non-responders. So it doesn't matter if you've given them the vaccine, they can't respond to it. Or perhaps they just responded poorly and we have to, you know, go back and double check. 
just because I gave a vaccine doesn't mean that I was given immunity to it, even though, you know, most of the time that's true. And as we progress through the dog's life, we can keep going back and doing those titers. I think the recommendation right now, every three years, you can keep going back and checking to see if that memory has faded, because sometimes it does. And it really depends on the animal, whether or not we need to vaccinate again to make sure that they're really protected. So keeping it as part of your plan right away to make sure that your puppy was protected and then making sure as they get older that they haven't faded. So like I have a nine-year-old right now and her parvo titer is low. So she does need to go in and be revaccinated. But my three-year-old is fine. You know, he doesn't need one right now. But as he gets older, we'll have to double check and make sure that that's still there. Right. So basically the recommendations now are pretty much every three years for most of the vaccines. And so one thing that you could do if you're worried about vaccinating, you could incorporate a titer instead and decide whether or not the dog needs to have a booster Yeah, periodically throughout its life instead of actually doing the vaccine. But we only do that for certain things, right? Like we don't do that for rabies. We can do rabies titers. They aren't accepted in the vast majority of states. And I don't know the legal ramifications, all of that. You can titer for, I believe, adeno, parvo, and distemper, but we don't consider common titers for other things. So you can titer for things like lepto and Lyme, but they're usually done as confirmatory, like when your dog is sick, rather than the dog's actually maintaining a boosted immune system to them. So yes, when you're about to give your every three-year shots, you can go grab titers and you can make some calls. And all this depends on your living situation and what your dogs are exposed to and is parvo endemic. Are your dogs running into distemper? You know, the life of a dog who lives in downtown New York is very different than the life of, you know, my golden retriever goes out hunting in the field. Like what he's exposed to is very different than a different dog may be exposed to. So you obviously have to work with your vet and find what's the best bet going forward. Okay. So Trisha, just a quick question. When you grab a titer, pull a titer, you're pulling blood, right? This is a blood test that your veterinarian is going to run. Yes. You don't need to send whole blood. They just send serum in. So you don't have to pay for like the expensive overnight shipping and everything. You can just send in a quick vial to spin it down. You can submit them yourself if your vet doesn't do them. My vets have always been about it, but you can definitely submit them yourself to the University of Wisconsin-Madison does them. Michigan State does them. I know IDEX does them. You've got some options if your vet doesn't do it. Okay, so there's a variety of labs that breeders can work with or owners. And so I think one of the things that we want to think about is as dog breeders and also as owners, when we're talking about these vaccines or titers or however we're going to manage our dog's health the best, looking at those different options, you can talk a little bit about why this is important. Sure. Kind of drill down on that. And I also wanted to pick up on one other thing that you were talking about, the dogs who are non-responders, because there are breed-specific things that go with that. Can you... Dwell on that just a little bit before we go into how we use this and why it's important. Sure. So I do not have a non-responder breed, so I am not super into all of this. But basically what happens, to my understanding, is that when your body is dealing with an infection, it has to be presented to other cells. So we have these cells called antigen-presenting cells. And all of your cells in your body can also present, for example, viruses. 
because it's not just your immune cells that can respond to viruses. All of your cells in your body can be infected with a virus. So all of our cells have this ability to present stuff that's on the inside to the outside. And some dogs and some people, they're not able to present that specific part of the virus or the infection to the immune system to get it captured. So we have these things in humans, they're called HLAs, and they're able to present tiny bits of what's inside to the outside. And I believe what happens is some of those dogs don't have the ability to present that properly. So it's a failure in the presentation to the immune system. And so they're not able to respond properly. And those things are genetic. Right. So that's why it's stuck in specific breeds. Or we see in people, this is much better studied in people. This is why we see like specific genotypes of people or people from a specific region have a specific ability to respond or not respond because those things are genetic and because that's how they're transposed down. You know, that's how they go through the system, basically. Okay. So making the choice as a breeder, should you breed a non-responder? That's something you need to be weighing very severely, in my personal opinion. I would not be continuing on a non-responder. So there are dogs that will be non-responders for their entire life. And there are some dogs that just fail to mount an immune response to the vaccine. Mm -hmm. And those are two different things that should be weighed a little differently. But definitely breeders need to be making some decisions about, should you continue with non-responders? Do I want that in my lines? Well, I know that Rottweilers are actually a breed that is very specifically yeah. associated with this. and. In all honesty, I grew up with clumber spaniels, and clumber spaniels have some sense of this as well, just the ones I know of off the top of my head. Yeah, and it's definitely, there's genetics. So in dogs, it's DLAs, not human, okay. it's dog. Mm -hmm. So there are definitely some parts of the immune system. They do come from mom and dad. It's genetic. So making those decisions, do I want this in my lines? Mm -hmm. I don't have non-responders, so I don't know all the specifics behind it. But it is definitely something that people should be aware of. And this is, again, why those titers are so important, because a lot of people follow the 6, 8, 10 or 8, 10, 12. But even if you've given three vaccines, if that dog is a non-responder and they come in contact with Parvo, that dog could lose its life because of that. So it's important to titer, especially after those puppy vaccines to make sure that you don't have non-responders and then to work with, I know University of Wisconsin does a lot of this, work with those non-responders and figure out, can we get them to respond? But that's something you need to work on with your vet. Mm -hmm. Okay. If the non-responding is at all associated with specific vaccines? I have no idea. Right? <laughs> <laughs> some vaccines are different. And so I'm wondering if in some of those cases, whether just switching to a different type of vaccine would make a difference. So in dogs, we don't have a ton of variety of different vaccines for most of our stuff. So in humans, we've moved to a lot of this recombinant technology. So this yeah. idea that we just take, for example, an outer surface protein of something and we put it into a vaccine and then your body is just learning to respond to that outer surface protein. Honestly, when I was doing research for the upcoming webinar, I ran into the fact that we don't seem to have a lot of recombinant technology approved in our dogs yet. So there may be some possibilities for getting some of those non-responders to respond better 
by using some recombinant technology instead of right. we use a lot of modified lives, which are good vaccines. We use a lot of killed for things like rabies. Like we don't want to be injecting modified lives. We need to be using killed <laughs> vaccines. Right. Right. But I have seen recombinant rabies vaccines, but I haven't seen those really gain approval yet in the U.S. So I think they're out there and they're working on them and that would be a possibility, but they just don't seem to be very highly available. And I think that was another one I wanted to kind of touch on a little bit more because I think it's poorly understood generally. I'm old enough and long enough in dog breeding to remember when parvovirus first arrived and all we had when we started was some level of modified live and the difference between the modified live vaccine and when they were able to come up with a killed vaccine. Can you talk a little bit more about how that operates in the dog system? Sure. So modified lives are the best for getting a good mounted immune response. They are also the most likely to cause side effects, okay. which can cause some of the problems. But what a modified live is, is it's basically a virus that's been what we call attenuated. So it's been passaged in the lab over and over and over and over and over again. And basically what this means is they just keep growing the virus for weeks, months, years, you know, however long it takes so that the virus is still able to infect the host, which is why we get side effects, which is why we get uncomfortable because our body is actually fighting a real infection, but it's not dangerous. It's getting a mild version of the infection. You don't have symptoms aside from what you would get in a normal immune response. When you get a cold, you know, we just have normal immune responses. This is how our body responds to things. So you get tired. Maybe you get a little bit of a fever. It's a little sore because the immune response is actually happening. So by using these modified lives, these viruses are actually able to replicate inside the system. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, a killed vaccine is a vaccine where they've grown up the virus and they've inactivated it somehow, whether that's heat treating or chemicals, however they've decided to inactivate that virus. So now that is able to enter the body and the body sees it as foreign, but because it doesn't replicate, the immune response mount can be different because it's not replicating and going through a normal immune response. But in some cases, that's all we have. In some cases, that's safer. We mentioned rabies. Mm -hmm. I mean, having a modified live of rabies is a very dangerous, dangerous. thing. Yeah. <laughs> we need to have a killed vaccine of it. Right. And those killed vaccines are a lot of times the first things that come out because they basically just have to inactivate whatever the virus is. So it gives us kind of different ways of approaching it. But as we've discovered, some vaccines just don't work. Like there's millions of different things that have been tried for human vaccines, for dog vaccines. This should work. This should work. This should work. But for whatever reason, it doesn't mount a good immune response. It doesn't mount a protective immune response, even though we guess that it should. So there's a lot of failed attempts behind everything that we do see out on the market. There's a lot of stuff that didn't work. Right. Okay. That's really, really good for people to be able to understand. Judy, did you have anything more on that? No, no, I think you covered it pretty well. Interesting conversation. Excellent. Okay. And a very interesting conversation that we're going to pursue further yes. in webinars coming up. I'm very excited. I'm very excited. The webinars that are coming up through Good Dog, people will be able to actually ask questions. Yes, Judy? 
Mm -hmm. We'll be able to submit questions ahead of time and then through the chat like we do with our live webinars. Mm -hmm. We are going to have two of them. One is going to dive a little bit deeper into this. And Trisha's got some cool graphics that she's going to show about how the immune response works and talk a little bit about nomographs and a little bit more about titers and things. And then we're going to follow up with one that's going to really talk to people about, you know, how do you come up with a wellness plan that is best suited for your dog, your dog's lifestyle, and where you live in the country. As Trisha alluded to, different dogs have different risk factors for right. different diseases. And so we should take that into consideration and have these more tailored plans. Right. So we hope everyone will join us for those and continuing this really interesting conversation. Excellent. And I think that one of the things that I'm super excited to see continue in those webinars and carry forward is talking about tailored vaccine plans, specifically things like leptospirosis and some of these vaccines and diseases that have been, Dr. Gene Dodds is another one who has created, everybody's got their own plan. And what is your risk factor? And is this a core vaccine or a life-threatening vaccine or a you know, rattlesnake vaccine. If I live in New York City, I probably don't need a rattlesnake vaccine, right? <laughs> yeah. So these are the kind of things that I think is super important for breeders to look at, to understand what is the best possibility to keep their dogs healthy without just like blowing up the immune system, right? Right. There's definitely strategic choices that we can make. And look at it, the same thing as humans too. Mm -hmm. I didn't need a lot of vaccines until I went abroad to a foreign country. And all of a sudden, there were things that I could be exposed to that I wasn't going to be exposed to here in the U.S. So it's the same things for our dogs. And it's important to be informed when you're making those decisions. And that's what I want to do. And that's what I want to bring to the forefront is here's what the immune system does. Here's what a vaccine does. Here's how we respond. Here's what the things are that we can vaccinate against. How can you work with your veterinarian to make the best choices for your dogs. Right. Yep. That I think is going to be great. So thank you so much. Really appreciate it, Tricia. Thanks, Judy. Thanks for joining us. Yep. And look forward to seeing more of this on the webinar. Everybody check it out and watch this space. Thanks. Thank you. Good Dog is a secure online community that advocates for dog breeders, educates the public, helps informed puppy buyers connect directly with certified good breeders, and promotes responsible dog ownership. Good Dog is offering its good breeders special advanced access to the video recordings and transcripts for the full three-part Q&A webinar series with Dr. Hutchinson. All you have to do is sign up as a breeder at gooddog.com join. That is g-o-o-d-d-o-g dot com slash join or click the link in the show notes.